are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So you know what's amazing is that this day that we call Easter Sunday, that there's probably about two and a half billion Christians around the world who are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Day. Isn't that amazing? About two and a half billion. That's, that's mind-blowing. So do you ever wonder, kind of like, how did, how did we have Easter and then how did we begin to celebrate resurrection on Easter? So here's what it looks like. In the early days of Christianity, it was born into a Roman world. And the Romans had many festivals that they would celebrate. Some were uh, even pagan and some were secular. But when they began to celebrate the festivals, they would invite everybody to join in. They had one festival in the spring and they would worship the fertility goddess Esther. That's where we get the word Easter, okay? And they would worship the fertility goddess Esther. And, and now it makes sense to you why you have bumble, uh, bunnies rather, and eggs. Those are symbols of fertility. And so the Christians said, wait a minute. <laughs> we don't worship anybody besides Jesus. And so we're not worshiping your fertility goddess Esther. We won't be doing that. What we're going to do on that day instead is we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so while everybody else is doing that, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And now for like 1,700 years, Christians have come together on this day, set not by the Roman calendar, but by the lunar calendar, which is why it moves around, Easter does, and it's cooler today, and you're wearing long sleeves, and you wish you were wearing short. But that's why, because, because we come together on this day to celebrate with two and a half billion Christians around the world. I think it's amazing. So, on this day, I think it's good for me to ask you some questions about faith. You okay with that? What do you believe about Jesus? And what do you believe about God? And so let's just kind of start here. Do you believe that God can raise a dead person to life? I was expecting a little more response than that. So maybe we'll just back up and rewind and I'll just kind of ask that question again. Okay. Do you believe that God can raise a dead person to life. And that was good. If God can do that, though, let me ask you this. Where are His limits? And so where are His boundaries? You know what I'm asking? Like, where would God say, okay, I can go this far, but I can't go a step further? Or where is the end for God? Where does God say, okay, when you get to that point, that, that's the end for me. That, that's my limit right there. That's, that's where I can go and I can go no further. And obviously, you're, you're going to expect me to say, God is infinite. God has no limits. God has no boundaries. God never says, okay, I can go this far, but I can't go any further. There is nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing known that God does not know. There is no limit, no limit whatsoever to God. And that's why we have the story in front of us that we have, and I want to share it with you. So would you open a Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 20, okay? John chapter 20, and I'm going to start reading with verse 1. I love to tell this story. And what John does is he talks really about three things in the 20th chapter of John. He talks about the resurrection is real, okay? It's an event that actually happened in history. It's real. I'm giving you details to prove that to you. And then he says, I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. And then he says, 
throughout the whole place, the whole chapter, I want to talk to you about faith. And so here we go. Get your mind where we are. Early on the first day of the week, everybody is distraught. Everybody's been following Jesus and now they have killed him on a cross and they've buried him in a tomb. And everybody is distraught. And so early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. Now let me just stop, okay, and ask you a question. So have you ever wondered, like, why we call her Mary Magdalene? So Jesus was from a town called Nazareth, and he was called Jesus the Nazarene. Mary was from a town called Magdala, and therefore she was called the How many of you didn't know that? So you've learned something. Let's just keep learning. Okay, we go. So early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene from Magdala went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now, the other disciple is John, the guy who is actually writing this. But he never says she came running to Peter and to me. He refers to himself as the other disciple, okay? And running to the other disciple... And then he says, the one Jesus loved. I mean, I'm just saying, he thought a lot of me, John is saying, you know. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we, weren't there three ladies at the tomb? Yes. And we don't know where they've put him. And so Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, started to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I mean, I'm just saying, I happened to run faster than Peter did, okay. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Because why? That's Simon Peter's personality. He does stuff like that. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth, listen to the detail, was still lying in its place but it was separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, in case you didn't hear me say I outran Peter the first time, also went inside. And then here's what he says about himself. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from the Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now here's the second half of the story. You ready? Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Because obviously she didn't even qualify in the foot race, right? So she gets to the tomb after they've gotten there and gone. So there's Mary standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels. What? Two angels. Yes, two angels. That's what it says. In white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They've taken, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her the same questions the angels asked her. Woman, where are you crying? But he asked another question. Who is it you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And then Jesus says to her, Mary? And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! Rabboni! which means teacher. 
Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene from Magdala went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is God's word for us today. I... uh, I was standing in the line of a grocery store the other day. And you say, Rick, what were you doing in the line of a grocery store? That's just the kind of husband I am, okay? <laughs> okay, the truth is I was standing in the line of the grocery store. And as I'm standing there, I'm waiting in this line. And there's a magazine rack in front of me. And I was taken aback a bit by what I saw on the magazine rack, okay? There is a picture on the cover of a Life magazine. And let me show you the picture of that magazine, okay? Here's what it says, miracles. The presence of God in our lives. 2016, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, I'm standing in a grocery store and I look over at a Life magazine cover and this is what I see, miracles, the presence of God in our lives. And I opened the front cover and it said, among us are Secularist and scientist and seekers. There are wanderers and wanderers. There are skeptics and there are seekers. And here we are, alive, now. And might that make us ask the question, is that in itself a miracle? Do you believe in miracles? I think what I really want to ask you this morning is this. Do you, do you, do you really believe in miracles? Because there's another story that's being told in our society quite well. And the other story that is being told is one that says, I believe in naturalism. Naturalism is the belief that nothing happens outside the natural world. Naturalism would say there isn't any supernatural. So, so when you start talking about, you know, somebody being raised from the dead, you're starting to make me uncomfortable. Or when you talk about somebody like being healed of a disease or sickness by some supernatural power, then you're going to make me squimish a little bit, okay? When you start talking about, uh, you know, somebody's life and heart being changed to where they now think and act and behave differently, like in a moment, then you're really making me nervous. Because here's what the world is saying. If I can see it with my eyes, and if I can reach out and touch it with my hands, and if I can hear it with my ears, and I can taste it with my tongue, and I can smell it with my nose, if it does not go against the laws of nature, then I believe it could be real. But if it goes against the laws of nature, then I don't believe it's real. So let me ask you again. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that things like dead people being raised to life is actually a possibility? See, every time I come 
and stand in front of you, I feel like that we ought to ask her, ought to, ought to answer one question. And the question is, okay, Rick, so what do you want me to do? I mean, I'm, I'm here, I'm listening. What, we've read the Word of God. What, what do you want me to do? I think this morning I would say I want you to look deep within yourself and see if you find an ounce, a half ounce, three ounces, a bucket of something inside you that says, I think there's more than just the natural. Annette and I went to see a movie not long ago, and the movie was called uh, Risen. Did you happen to go see Risen? Hand really high if you did. A few of you went to see it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a deal where the writer takes lots of creative liberty, and he says, in my imagination, I wonder what this might have been like for a Roman soldier to have experienced and I thought it was really good. Annette thought it was really good. It's by no means we're going to give you an account verse by verse account of the gospel story. That, that wasn't the intention. It was I'm going to use my imagination. I'm going to be creative. And I'm going to try to look at the resurrection through the eyes of a Roman soldier who might have lived in that day. So when the movie was over and we left, I, I said to Annette, I said, my head is like like swimming with stuff. And I feel like I just need to talk to you about it. And she says, well, talk about it. And I said, here's where I'm at. I I was able to kind of be reminded of the world that Jesus came into, okay? A world without technology, a world without a PA system, right? And so Jesus comes into this world 2,000 years ago, all right? This is 2,000 years since since he came. And he was raised in the Middle Eastern part of the world. I've never been to the Middle Eastern part of the world. But I've watched a lot of television, so that qualifies me for something, right? But I don't really know what life is is like there, but that's where Jesus was 2,000 years ago. And the largest crowd that we know of that he ever spoke to, guess how many were there? 5,000 people. You realize that we fill stadiums every Saturday and Sunday in the fall of the year with eighty to 100,000 people? And millions watched by television? And in all of Jesus' years of ministry, the largest crowd we know that he ever spoke to was like 5,000 people. Do you know that there is a video on YouTube that has had 2 billion hits? You could post something on Facebook tomorrow and a million people might see it before you go to bed that night. And Jesus spoke to his largest crowd of 5,000 And when we try to estimate how many people he might have spoken to or who met him, who heard him teach in his entire lifetime, we think it might be less than 50,000 people. 2,000 years ago in the Middle Eastern part of the world. And yet, this man, I said Annette, has completely shaped my life. How does that happen? He has completely shaped my life. He influences every decision that I make. He is undisputably the most influential man who has ever lived in the history of the world. One third of the population of the world today claim to follow his teaching. No one else comes close to that. 
And that's why I stand here today with feet firm and with conviction and resolve and say to you that the most significant event that has ever happened in the history of humankind is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now think about it with me for a minute. He said in Mark 8.31 that I'm going to suffer and then I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to be raised from the dead. All right? I mean, he said that. He said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed, but then in three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Now, if he had not have been raised from the dead, then what is he? He's a phony. He's a fake. He's another false prophet in the long lines of false prophets, and you never hear about Jesus again. It's over. And so just try to imagine with me just for a minute, what if he hadn't have raised from the dead? And what if people said, there you go, I told you, he was a fake, he was a phony, he was just another guy in the long line of false prophets, and so we never hear about him again. And so what does your world look like? Well, then you would take every church out of every community in America and around the world, just start extracting churches, just pull them out of every, because there wouldn't be any churches, because this is the church of Jesus Christ, right? You could start eliminating schools. You could start with schools like Princeton and Harvard and Yale because all three of those schools started with the intention of teaching the Scriptures. Think about how many schools you just have to say, we've got to eliminate all of those schools because no Jesus, there's no schools like that. When you think about every hospital that has the name Methodist or Baptist or Saint in its name, then you've got to extract all of those hospitals because they were all established in the name of Jesus. There wouldn't be Christmas. There wouldn't be forgiveness of sins. But because he was raised from the dead, it validated every other thing that he said. And when he was raised from the dead, this movement started. And it has been gaining steam ever since. And there is no force anywhere that will ever calm or shut it down. Now, what do you believe? I mean, I'm coming pretty clean with you. I'm a believer. When it comes to the resurrection, I'm 100% in. So let's talk about some other people who are believers, okay? There's this lady named Mary Magdalene from Magdala. We don't know a lot about her. There's a lot of legend about her, but the Bible only gives us a little bit of information. It tells us that she became a devoted follower of Jesus Christ because at one point in her life, she had not one, not two, not three, but seven demons. And so this was a tormented person. And Jesus meets her one day and he cast all seven demons out of her. And because of her loyalty and love for Jesus, because of the way that he's changed her life, she becomes a devoted follower of Jesus. We also know that she was one of the people who followed Jesus to help take care of his needs. Because Matthew tells us that. And then we also know that she was at the cross with Jesus' mother when Jesus was crucified. And very early in the morning, and John is careful to give lots of details. And there's a reason why he wants to give you all of these details. And he tells you in the last chapter of the last verse of the chapter. Because I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And when you believe that, then you're going to find life. And so he is meticulous. It was between 3 and 6 in the morning. It was that watch of the night. She comes to the tomb very early. Her eyes are bloodshot. From tears. From lack of sleep. 
She's going to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. It was a process. Somebody said, well, I thought some men like prepared his body for burial with anointing. That's correct. Now the women are coming to do it correctly, right? It was probably more of a process, but you couldn't do it on the Sabbath. Law would not permit that kind of work. And that's why very early on Sunday morning, she got up and came with two other women. And his body is not there. And she runs to tell Simon Peter and John. They run to the tomb and they go in. And again, John is meticulous because he's upfront about it. He is not like trying to hide this from you. He's telling you, the reason I'm writing these things down is because I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you would find life like I have found. And he talks about how the linens are laid there. If you were going to steal the body, would you unwrap the body? And then would you wrap the linens back as if they were around the body again? Why would you leave the napkin separate from the rest like where his head was? And, and so John tells it in such a way that it makes you think that the body has just disappeared, vaporized out of the linens. Kind of like a balloon that's full of air and all of a sudden when it collapses and all the air is gone, it just lays flat on the ground. Those are the details John tries to give. So where are the disciples when she runs back to tell them? They're hiding. Why are they hiding? Because they're afraid. Verse 19 says they're behind locked doors in fear. We've left everything to follow this man. And now they've killed him and they're probably going to come and kill us. And so they're hiding. When they go and they find the tomb empty, they're amazed. And John, telling the story about himself, says he saw and he believed. Do you remember me telling you that when I was 19, I was not living my life to honor God, and I was disappointed with life. I thought life should be more and better. And I remember one Sunday night going to my church, and I remember at the end of the service, the pastor gives this invitation. I wasn't much for going down front. I'll level with you. But that night, I wanted to go down front so bad. And they're singing, music's playing. And finally, I just bolted out of my seat and I went down to the altar and I just kind of collapsed there and I began to tell God that I wanted more than anything else to be forgiven of sin and to be right with Him. And that night, faith was born in me. And I believed in my heart that I was forgiven of my sin. That was a changing point in my life. That's what John's doing. He says, I remember when I stepped into that tomb and I saw the way those clothes were laying there. And, and yeah, I didn't see the risen Lord himself, but I saw remnants of divine activity. I saw what God left behind. And faith was born in me. I believed. So, so what do you believe? I was doing a Bible study this past Wednesday night for a group of men, and we were reading A.W. Tozer. And here's what Tozer says. He says, one of the hardest things I will ever ask you to grasp 
is this simple truth. You ready for it? God is infinite. He has no limits. He has no boundaries. There is no end with God. He is infinite. Kyle, how tall are you? Kyle is six feet tall. See, we can measure Kyle. How much do you weigh? No, I'm just kidding. Just, just cutting. <laughs> you can measure created things. But because God is infinite, He cannot be... can't measure God. It's infinite. One of the hardest things Tozer says I'll ever try to get you to grasp is the fact that God is infinite. Now, i got some help coming, right? Where's my little buddy back there? You coming? Here we go. So, let me just tell you a story about a guy whose name is C.S. Lewis, okay? You coming? Come on, run now. Here we go. All right, look at this. You got your Easter tie on. You're looking good. You got some swag going on as you walk up here. What's your name? This is Caleb, everybody. And so, Caleb, um, we're talking about um, something pretty important, okay? And uh, when I came by a while ago and asked your sister to come up and, and help me, she said no. But you said that you would. You raised your hand. You said you'd do it. I think it was contingent. You said if there's candy, right? That was kind of the deal. Okay. And so I said, I'm going to ask you one question when I get you up there. I'm going to ask you, did you ever see the movie Toy Story? And you said yes. And then I said, I'm going to ask you, well, a couple questions. What does Buzz Lightyear say? To what? Um, to infinity and beyond. To infinity and beyond, that's right. But your mother said every time that you go to bed at night, when you pray, she asks you something, how much you love her or something, and what do you say? Um, I love you times infinity and beyond, and if there was a number higher, I would say it. There you go. So he's helping me make my point. Yeah. So we're going to step over here. You ready? C.S. Lewis says, imagine a piece of paper. But the paper was infinite. In other words, it goes that way as far as you can see and further, of course. And it's infinitely that direction, and it's infinitely that direction, and it's infinitely this direction. So, so just try to imagine that this paper is not small, but it's forever, okay? And then he says, if you take a marker and you write on the board, the paper, an inch long line right here. Can you draw that? Just straight across. Why don't you turn it this way? It'll make it really dark. How's that? C.S. Lewis said, this would represent time, and the paper would represent God. And then C.S. Lewis said, that's a good illustration. So how did Caleb do? Did he do good? All right. There you go, buddy. Thank you. So back to Tozer. Here's what Tozer says. He says, if God had almost all the power in the world, in other words, if he had all the power except just a little bit, then he would not be infinitely powerful, right? Or if God knew almost everything that's ever been known, past, present, future, if he knew almost everything, but there was like one thing that God didn't know, then he wouldn't be infinitely all-knowing, right? 
Or if God was love, but he was just not love a little bit in one particular aspect, then he wouldn't be infinitely loved. Or if he was really good, but he, he wasn't good in one area, then he wouldn't be infinitely good, infinitely loved, right? And, and then here's what he says. God is limitless. He is boundless. And with God, there is no end. And that describes God, and it doesn't describe anything or anybody else. He says, what we do is we tend to create our own gods. We sometimes reject God. And we create our own. But he said, the problem is the gods that we create are limitless. I'm sorry, they are limited. And, and we know it because we say things like this. I, I don't know that God can forgive all of my sin because I have done some really bad things. Or I don't know that God can heal my friend's cancer because it's already stage four. And the gods that we create have limits. So this morning in first service, uh, we had a special family over here with us. It was the Rhodes family. And three weeks ago in this service, I remember all of us came down and we all gathered around a young girl named Emma who is 17 years old, about ready to graduate from high school. And what the doctors had told Emma was that we have found that in the left front lobe of your brain, there is a tumor. And she went to see an oncologist the next day and the oncologist said, Emma, if I were you, I would get that tumor out of my head as quickly as I could. And so within just a few days, she had surgery and, and they removed the tumor. I remember getting the text after the surgery was over that said, really good news. It was encapsulated, which is great news. They're able to get all of the tumor out. And then they said, it looks like it's maybe stage one cancerous as far as malignancy is concerned. And so we don't know what will happen next, but we'll get her back together and we'll get her back on recovery and then we'll keep doing MRIs and it may be that we may not have to do any more treatment, but maybe, we don't know. But then they sent it off to pathology and the pathology report came back this week and I remember getting this other large group text that said, we just learned that there was no cancer, that it's benign. And in the first service, go ahead. I think we should celebrate. And in the first service, Emma was right over here looking incredible, especially to just have had brain surgery. And she stood up and we all celebrated God's goodness in her life. So I can't relate to Emma. I'm not a 17-year-old girl. No, no comments about me acting like but I can relate to her dad. And I can't hardly imagine what it would have been like if a doctor had said to me when my Morgan was 17, we found, we found a growth in Morgan's brain. And we think you need to get it out ASAP. In that moment, are you looking at me? I don't need a God with limits. I need a God who can do anything.
when I think about your brokenness and what you walk into the room with today, the things that really concern you, the things that you're praying about, you don't need a God who says, you know, that's as far as I go, really. That's it. My power pretty much stops right about here. My knowledge, it's kind of limited. It, it's, it's right here is where it ends. When you walk into the room today with all of your brokenness and your concerns and you cry out to a God who loves you, you don't need a God who is limited. See, right now I'm praying for a young man who wants to walk again so bad. You praying for him? I'm praying for a lady that I work with named Judy who has cancer again. I'm praying for a young boy who has been really sick for a long time and he can't seem to get well, but he's beginning to make some progress. I'm praying for a family who's in a financial devastation mode. I'm praying for a family whose marriage is in really big trouble. I'm praying for some people who really need Jesus in their lives. And I carry every one of those prayers to a God who knows no limits. And here's here's the good news. Just as he raised a dead man 2,000 years ago, he can raise you to new life in him. So that's what we celebrate today. It, it changes the way I come to church on this Resurrection Sunday. Because I come saying, what are you expecting, Rick? And for some reason to say, well, I expect it'll be a lot like it was last Easter probably. That just seems kind of weak to me. Why, why limit God? What, what does he want to do here today, this morning, in our presence? What does God want to do in your life? I don't want to sound trite, but this is scripture I'm quoting. Sometimes you have not because you don't ask. And so today you stand before the God who raised Jesus from the dead and says, I am infinite in power. <laughs> And what it is that you came into the room with today as a family where you said, we just need God's help. See, I, I think you ought to ask. So you want to stand with me? And before we go, we'll sing together. But I think more importantly, we're going to pray together. And so if you want to pray like where you are, you can just stand there and pray. Or if you want to be seated and pray in a moment, or if you want to kneel there you can pray but we also have altars and the altars in our church are really meant for one thing and that is it's a place to talk to God it's simply a place to pray and sometimes when you come here to pray like other people maybe would come and pray with you or maybe it's a good place for a group of people to come and pray together and so this morning if you want to ask I would just say to you that I think you should ask I really do Come to a God who has no limits and ask Him for His help. If you want to come to know Jesus this morning, that's very much a possibility for you. 
to come and say, Jesus, I need you to change me because he does that kind of miracle. He did it in my life when I was 19. He can change the way that you think, the way that you live. Your whole life can be different when you leave here today. If you want to be anointed and prayed for, there will be pastors, one over here and one over here, and they would be glad to anoint you with oil and pray for you. If you want to come, I think you should come. Let's pray.
Father God, we praise you this day. We praise you, God, for sending your son, for your infinite example of power that you've shown us through the resurrection, God. The forgiveness that you have given us, we thank you. We ask these things, God, in your name. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.